to episode 175 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about stagflation. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media on topics such as stagflation, let's go Brandon, the January 6th incident at the Capitol, the supremacy of federal law, or the supply chain disruptions come up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on a host of platforms, including iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, BitChute, Brighteon, Rumble, and Instagram, where I post a short highlight of each show at instagram.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Whatever platform you may be listening to this on, please take a moment and give it a five-star rating, hit the like button, or leave a positive review. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through online advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. When resident Biden came into office, the economy was set to rebound coming out of the COVID coma. All the guy had to do was nothing. Instead, he, or whoever the hell is running the country, decided that doing nothing was out of the question, and instead decided to pursue policies that, for whatever reason, all have had a detrimental impact on the economy. The word that is thrown around the most these days to describe our economy is stagflation. Headlines scream about it. Here's one from CNBC. Paul Tudor Jones, CEO of Tudor Investment Corp., Tell CNBC that inflation is the single biggest threat to the economy. Here's the money quote. The inflation genie is out of the bottle and we run the risk of returning to the 1970s. Barron's headline. Is stagflation coming back? Economists see parallels with the 1970s. The Economist. Is the world economy going back to the 1970s? Wall Street Journal. What the inflation of the 1970s can teach us about today. The Guardian, conditions are ripe for a repeat of 1970s stagflation. And the New York Times, a stock market malaise with the shadow of 70s-style stagflation. In this short episode, I want to explain what stagflation is, how we got here, and explore how to fix it. So, stagflation is characterized by three things, all of which we are seeing in the economy today. Number one, slow economic growth. Number two, high unemployment which those two together are typically considered economic stagnation. To complete the trifecta, we add in an increase in the money supply, which is the definition of inflation, the result of which is rising prices, thus stagflation. Now, there's an economic formula which helps demonstrate this phenomenon called the monetary equation of exchange, And I realize this is not a visual medium, but I'm going to walk you through it because it really helped me understand what's going on here. So this equation is M times V equals P times Q. So that's money supply times the velocity of the money equals the price level in the economy times the output produced by the economy. So basically, P times Q, consider that like the GDP. The price level times the output. That's kind of the amount of money people spend on goods. That's the GDP. Now, there's two assumptions that economists use when they look at this formula, and that is that the V, the velocity of money, tends to be relatively stable. 
as does the Q in the formula, or output. So with those two variables remaining relatively stable, we are stuck looking at the impact of the money supply on price levels, which means money supply is directly proportional to price levels. Thus, as the money supply changes, according to the theory, according to the equation, so will the price level, and hence the level of inflation in the economy. So we're going to circle back to this equation in a few minutes because it helps crystallize this, the idea of stagflation. Right now, I want to answer the question, have we ever seen this phenomenon before? Which, based on the headlines I just read to you, clearly we have. The 70s and part of the 80s were a period of sluggish growth combined with double-digit inflation. Stagflation was a problem that plagued three presidents, as a matter of fact, Carter, Ford, and Nixon. They tried and failed at various schemes to solve the problem of stagflation. They tried wage and price controls. They had the whip inflation now buttons. And, of course, Carter's famous malaise speech. But from speeches to buttons to price controls, nothing, nothing really worked. In the stagflation eras of the 1970s, however, something peculiar happened. Feeble growth and high inflation happened at the same time. This made the problems for many workers seeking jobs because the economy was hardly growing. This impacted retirees and those living off of fixed incomes. In that case, their buying power was reduced as the dollars they had accumulated their entire life didn't buy the same amount of goods that they bought just a few short years earlier. And just for a frame of reference, annual inflation in the 1970s was around 7%. So it all really got going with the Johnson administration's great society programs and the Vietnam War, of course. They couldn't raise taxes high enough to get the necessary revenue to pay for the Great Society or the war. So they just started printing money. In other words, the Treasury sold bonds. But they were still constrained by the gold standard. Well, Nixon took care of that in 1971 by ending the dollar's link to gold, which ended the system of fixed exchange rates that had prevailed since the Second World War, which was called the Bretton Woods Agreement. Check out episode 162, The Truth About Nixon's Closure of the Gold Window, for a deep dive into that subject. There was really essentially no restriction on the printing of money from that day forward. And since then, the dollar has lost some 90% of its value. Which leads to an interesting thought experiment that Peter Schiff offered on one of his podcast episodes earlier this year. Think about how inflating the money supply leads to rising prices and how that impacts the average consumer. Think about a gallon of milk back in 1971. What did it cost? Around a dollar, and maybe the average home was like $25,000? Think about the cost of those items today. The rising cost in dollars is the result of an inflated money supply, thus the name inflation. More physical dollars or credit is floating around in the economy trying to buy the same number of goods. Back in the 1960s, the price of an ounce of gold was $35. Today, it's somewhere around $1,800 an ounce. Did you know that an ounce of gold today has the same or more purchasing power as it did 100 years ago or, or even 50 years ago? You obviously cannot say that about the U.S. dollar. Here's an example that Schiff had that I found very helpful. In 1962, Motel 6 launched its business. Their catch was, stay with us for only 6 bucks a night. Today, that same room will rent for probably 90 bucks in most locations. This is a 15-time increase in just 58 years. Given the monetary environment in which we have lived over the course of our lifetimes, that fact probably doesn't surprise you. Everything's more expensive than it was 50 or 60 years ago. 
So is this just normal, no cause for alarm? I mean, are the Motel 6 rooms bigger? Not really. Are they significantly nicer? No. Are they cleaner? No. You are getting essentially the same product you did 60 years ago. However, back in 1962, an ounce of gold bought you six nights at the Motel 6. Today, an ounce buys you 21 nights, demonstrating one example of how gold has outpaced inflation. Here's another example. Oil was $3 a barrel in 1971. An ounce of gold again was $35. That means that an ounce of gold would buy you almost 12 barrels of oil. Ten years later, at the peak of the oil embargo, oil was $39 a barrel and gold was around $8.50 an ounce, allowing you to buy 22 barrels of oil for an ounce of gold, almost a double of what it was nine or ten short years earlier. Let's get back to how we got here. Fast forward from the 1970s when we last endured stagflation to today, where the Democratic Party is purposely steering the economy into stagflation. Here's what I mean. Following the COVID economic shutdown, the government created a massive amount of artificial demand by sending checks directly to hundreds of millions of households and, what, tens of millions of businesses via the PPP and other programs? So we have an economy shut down, meaning production of stuff goes way down, and a bunch of cash-rich consumers with the ability to buy stuff. Econ 101 kicks in here, folks. Supply and demand. More demand and less supply equals higher prices. Think back to the formula we walked through just a minute ago, the monetary equation. M times V, money supply times the velocity of the money, equals P times Q, price level times output. Remember how we said velocity of money and the output are relatively constant? But due to the economic shutdown, we see velocity of money going up and output going down thus exacerbating the stagflation problem. M times V, money supply times velocity, is increasing. P times Q, with a decreasing Q, decreasing output, means P goes up dramatically, and that's what we're seeing at the grocery store today. And when I say this is being done purposely by the Democrats, I'm not ignoring the National Republicans' responsibility or guilt here. I am fully aware that the check writing and shutdowns were done while Trump was still president. But all of that should have been ended abruptly once the vaccine was available, especially with all the promises of it being safe and effective. If you want to explore some of the COVID-related topics, check out episodes 149, 157, 163, and 167. Other than the easing of shutdowns in red states, not much changed for some time. This is where I blame the Democrats. They continue to pay people not to work. We have labor force participation rates at decade-low levels. That impacts the Q in the formula, the output, by lowering productivity, and it increased the V in the equation, the velocity of money. People had newfound money to burn. Then they purposely caused or certainly exacerbated the supply chain problems we are seeing. Check out episode number 170 for a deep dive into that topic. This again impacts the Q in the formula. Less output, less supply available. Then they purposely pushed an unconstitutional vaccine mandate, the subject of episode 174, whereby they are pushing for the firing of anyone who refuses to take the COVID jab. Again, depressing the Q, the output. With less people working, that equals less productivity.
Over the last 18 months, we've seen an immense amount of money creation. The Federal Reserve has added $4.2 trillion to its assets, to its balance sheet, which means the Fed has flooded the economy with a similar amount of money. That's the M in the equation. That's the money supply. Back to the equation. M times V equals P times Q. Money supply, which is up, times velocity of money, which is up, equals price levels times output, which is down, which means price levels are going through the roof. So how do we fix this mess? Well, number one, you stop printing money. You let interest rates float higher to their natural, unmanipulated levels, which will discourage borrowing and spending and encourage savings, which will slow down the velocity of money. It will encourage investments in more production. If we don't increase production, then we still have more dollars chasing the same amount of goods. Think back to the formula, M, M times V equals P times Q. Reduce money supply by stopping the printing of dollars. Reduce V, the velocity, by encouraging savings. That brings down the other side of the equation. If you increase output and investment and production, that brings up the other side of the equation, the Q, and prices will naturally start to come down. I guess you could say inflation is not a bad thing when combined with strong employment rates and wage growth, which supports much higher levels of economic activity, but we only have inflation right now. Employment sucks, wage rates are not keeping up with inflation, and economic activity is stifled. The U.S. would need big-time economic growth and big-time productivity gains to grow its way out of this mess. But that's unlikely because the Democrats are sabotaging the economy. Look no further for evidence of that beyond what I've already presented to the restricting and shutting down of the one industry that flourished under Trump, energy. And they're passing bills in the House to raise corporate taxes, which of course discourages investment here in the United States. The bottom line is the problem of stagflation, just like most of the problems that plague America, are directly tied to policies and actions of a handful of people in Washington, D.C. who are doing shit and advocating for shit that is largely unconstitutional. It's outside the constitutional guardrails set up by the Constitution itself, which was limited power to the federal government. Now, do you really think there's an appetite by anyone in D.C. to do the right thing here? Absolutely not. The Democrats have been exposed for their march towards systemic disintegration of everything that made America great, and the National Republicans might as well not even be there. They never do a damn thing to roll back the Dems' destructive policies. So no, I don't expect the Federal Reserve to do the right thing and cut back their money printing to any degree that would make a difference. I don't expect them to do the right thing and stop manipulating interest rates because the federal government would have to pay far more interest on the debt, leading to very unpleasant budget cuts there in Washington, D.C., which, to be honest, hasn't happened in that town since, what, World War II? Moreover, as interest rates rise, a decline in lending would occur, leading to a declining money supply, and a busting of the economic bubble would ensue. Sorry to be a Debbie Downer here, but nothing on the horizon points to any relief from stagflation in the near future. When one of the major political parties is hell-bent on destroying the country, and the other sits and does nothing, you have a recipe for disaster. And that's the truth about stagflation. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.